Hey, WizKids, before we get to our interview with Kevin Grevy from the 1977-78 Bullets Championship team, we want to remind you that the 40th anniversary of that championship season is sponsored by Chobani Yogurt. Chobani is America's number one Greek yogurt made the right way and not genetically modified. There are no added GMO ingredients with only natural ingredients and sweeteners. So we're going over now to our interview with Kevin Grevy. We talk about his time with the Bullets, his friendship with Mitch Kupchak, his teammate that season, uh, being one of the younger guys on the team, stepping up uh, when Phil Chenier went down, his time at Kentucky, what he's up to now, and a lot more. So stay tuned. Welcome to another edition of Off the Bench. Zach Rosen here with Jeremy Hyman and Chris Gehring, and we're joined by a special guest from the 40th anniversary of the 1977-78 Bullets Championship team, Kevin Grevy. Kevin, how are you doing today? Oh, great, great. Uh, we're glad to have Kevin on uh, here to talk about the team. Uh, Kevin played eight seasons with the Bullets. Uh, he did start in the 77-78 season when Phil Chenier went down. Uh You've been involved in basketball uh, a good amount since you retired as well, so we're interested to talk to you about that. Um, but we'll just start with what was it like being on that team, especially your only championship team compared to the other seasons? What was so special about that one? Um, it was special that uh, when I joined the Bullets, the Bullets were coming off a loss. For, they lost to the Golden State Warriors 4-zip when uh, Rick Barry was leading them in Oakland and um, so here was a team that had been to the championship the year before and a few years before that the Bullets played the Milwaukee Bucks and were swept four straight so there was uh, a feeling on that team when I joined it that uh, this team wasn't going to be settling for just making the playoffs or having a good year there was a drive to win a championship now everything's got to work just perfectly. Um, you can have a great team, great coaching. Um, you can have a good bench, but you got to have a little luck. And uh, in 78, the year we won the championship, we had great players. We had a great bench. We had a coach that just knew the chemistry of our team so well, and Dick Mata and Bernie Bickerstaff, our assistant coach, um, sort of an unsung hero. Back then, the rosters were 12 guys. And you got Wes, who's, you know, at tail end of his career. He didn't want to practice. And if Wes didn't practice, Elvin wasn't going to practice. <laughs> and if there was one guy hurt, now you got nine guys. So Bernie Bickerstaff was uh, actually a player coach. He was uh, a young assistant, and he practiced. He didn't dress and play, but he practiced. And um, so that we could go up and down and have ten guys. But, uh, no, it was uh, – quite a team that I was on and it's a gift that keeps on giving and having this 40th championship uh, reunion <clears throat> just reminds me how lucky I am to have friends for life if I hadn't won a championship I'm not sure that my teammates would be as close to me as they are today um, we are reminded every five ten years um, I'm friends with their families and my kids are friends with their kids so what a gift it has been to have finally won a championship here in Washington with this great team of ours. And at that time, 1978 season, the city of D.C. hadn't won a championship in, I think, 35 years or so since the early 40s when the Redskins did it. 
did you get that sense from the city? I mean, you had been here a couple of years. Could you feel that this city was hungry for a title? And then when you did get it, what was that, what was that like with the fans? Yes, I think that the, the fans, um, you know, loved the bullets. We moved here from Baltimore uh, to Prince George County to the Capitol Center. We really weren't a DC team. As we know, this is a Washington Redskin town first. And then you got your hockey and your baseball and your basketball. Well, back then, we didn't have a baseball team. I was an Orioles fan when I joined the Bullets because I loved baseball and I had to go to Baltimore. The Caps were an expansion team that uh, were setting uh, low lights pretty much yearly. They were an expansion, struggling. And the Bullets uh, were just trying to, you know, get the attention of Washington, I think. Um, uh, we were really Baltimore's team, and I think one of the reasons that they moved the arena, the Capitol Center in Prince George, they wanted some of those Baltimore fans to stay with the Bullets. So it was kind of like, hey, show us. It was the town's attitude. And I tell people now, and I've told some of the present-day Bullets, I said, guys, I know sometimes you get upset, you know, there's – we're here in Washington, it's a melting pot. That's what makes this city so great. I've raised my family here since I was drafted. I haven't gone anywhere else. I love Washington. This is a great, great city. It's a great sports town uh, with all the colleges, and it's a great town to be a professional athlete. It's a very intelligent, educated, um, wealthy city, but you got to win for them. And if and when the Capitals is going to happen, or the Bullets, I hope it happens this year with the Nats. Mm -hmm. When it happens, the city's going to go nuts like it did in 78. Mm -hmm. People don't remember. You kids weren't born, <laughs> all right? Not you guys close. weren't yeah. born, man. Not 78 close. was unbelievable. The city, how these people, the parades. I was more worried as a participants somebody was going to get hurt the celebrations were so wild georgetown went crazy the airport when they greeted us when we came back uh, to this town every one of us players when we went back to our neighborhoods the love and affection and the joy and the release maybe of the frustration of not winning a championship for 35 or 30 some years uh, was quite evident yeah, if we could go back to that 78 final series when you talked about, I guess, I don't know if you felt this as some of the pressure of that because you had the team had gotten swept in 71 mm -hmm. and they get swept in 75. It's a great team. You have all these wins throughout the 70s, but they haven't had the final success yet. Then game one, and we're going to talk about this, the craziness of kind of the schedule of the finals, how it worked <laughs> in that 78 because... I don't know how many of our listeners are aware, but just reading up on this, it was a crazy deal with the arena in Seattle. You had to play game one in Seattle, then come home for games two and three, and then go back to Seattle and play in the kingdom for game four because mm -hmm. the arena wasn't ready because they had some kind of expo going on. Um, which some RV show yeah. or something, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Can you imagine giving up an arena for that? <laughs> Uh, well, it was a different day. Um, yeah, but. totally different time because I just couldn't have imagined that now. And then, yeah. so it was a one, two, 
2-1-1 series, how it ended up happening, which is kind of wild, especially with the cross-country flights going to mm-hmm. and from Seattle, um, which is kind of another topic. But I just wanted to get back to, so then you lose game one in Seattle, and now it's you coming home to D.C. to face this kind of, you know, the media pressure, the fans are like, oh, you know, we've seen all this success, but we want the final success now. Do you remember that, kind of going into that game, too, when you guys came out and, and getting that first finals win? Yes, I remember game one. Um, I got hurt. I rolled my ankle. I had a pretty good game. Everything was going well, and um, we had uh, quieted Seattle's crowd. And then I rolled my ankle. We were up like eight or nine points, and Mitch Kupchak had uh, – did something to his elbow, and the two of us were sitting in the locker room. Bob Ferry came in to check on us, and we were both packed in ice, and then all of a sudden I heard the, the arena going crazy, and I knew this isn't good. We didn't have a, a TV monitor, and I would have <laughs> yeah. a ball boy go out, and he was giving me play-by-play in the locker room. Oh, they're, they're only uh, – they've, they've come back, and, you know – Bullets are only up three. Well, we're only up one. Now we're down one. Now we're down three. And we lost that game. And um, and I knew the bounce back we didn't have a lot of time. And um, having hurt my ankle, I was uh, I was worried whether I was going to be able to get back up and play game two, yeah. game three. But back then, uh, you, you did. And uh, I played through the pain and was able to play all seven games in that series. And then... On that topic, if you, I don't know how many times you've seen the broadcast, but in game six, it sounded like when you were introduced in the starting lineup, I think Brent Musburger says, uh, Kevin Grevy is going to start. We just found out a few minutes ago that he was going to be in the lineup. Do you remember that situation of how close you were to being able to play versus not being able to go that night? Um, there's no way I should have played. You see that bump right there? Here, feel that. Give me your finger. Feel that? Oh, wow. Feel that? Bad radio here, but. All right. There's still a little. uh, Well, that's. I tore a tendon in game four. I ran into Jack Sigma. Oh, no one should do that. And hit his chest, and my whole hand hyperextended. Oh, wow. And of course, when you're playing, I hurt it, but I kept playing through it. And I remember we flew back on a Lear jet, and on the jet, I couldn't even use my left hand. Um, I, you know, I'm reaching for food. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> and there's there's nobody on the plane but players, and they're like, what's wrong with you, Grevy? And I said, I, I hurt my wrist, man. And they said, uh-oh, it's his shooting hand, you know. And it was, you know, if it was my right hand, I wouldn't have worried about it, but it was my shooting hand. So, game six, I remember when I got home that night, and I called Bob Ferry, and I said, Bob. Coming back on the plane, I've really hurt my wrist. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play game six. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you got to go see Dr. Levine, Stan Levine. Well, this was like a Saturday night. You know, Stan, he said, I'll see you in the morning. And that was game day, Sunday. Well, I couldn't even move my hand. And they shot me up, you know, gave me some Novocaine. And I think he gave me too much Novocaine because – I was able to start, but uh, the, the, the numbness started going up my hand and down towards my elbow. And by the time, I'm, I, I remember, and also my first shot I shot from the corner with my right hand and I made it. 
you know, I made the first basket of the game. And when the coaches saw me shoot with my right hand, not my left hand, they're like, what's going on here? You know, and um, I could not feel the ball in my left hand. And so, you know, it was like a hunk of ham right there. I was going to play right-handed, though. I didn't care, whatever. (laughs) How many shots did you end up taking that game? I took one shot, (laughs) made it. And coach saw me shoot with my right hand, and, and he's like, get him out of there. Yeah. <laughs> and I never played the rest of that game. Yeah, I think they went to, was it Greg Ballard, I think? Had to yeah. Come in the, I believe it was a rookie that year. That's right. Greg yeah. was a rookie. CJ played a lot yeah. of my minutes. Larry Wright, um, yeah. those guys were great players. They should have been starters on other teams. Yeah. And when, when you look back on this experience, and you, you were a younger player on this team, and we mentioned Greg was a rookie, but the, but the veterans on this team, Bobby D, Wes, um, Elvin, through all that travel and playing in different venues, you know, things that people would not would never think of would happen in the NBA today, how, how anchored did you, did you personally and the younger guys feel by, by that group and, and just the, the width of experience? Obviously, a couple of Hall of Famers and Bobby D, who's, you know, has his jersey in the Raptors and places as well. Well... I have to um, step back now and say, yes, I was a young player. I was playing with veteran players. Um, We're going through an incredible run to get to the championship. Now we got this crazy schedule going coast to coast. Um, Young players, um, you know, you feel invincible. You feel like you don't have to get great sleep. You don't have to eat well. You can just go out and play. And, uh, but it was Wes who was the more intelligent and reasonable guy on the team. He was like, hey, if, and, and I remember it wasn't during the championship series, it was early on in our playoff run, uh, maybe after our Atlanta mini series win, and now we gotta play the likes of Philadelphia and San Antonio if we're gonna get to the championship. We were at Bowie State College. We were in this little classroom, and uh, we were having a meet of what we're going to do to commit to win and how everybody's going to have to now, at this point, put everything aside. You know, if you're married, you just tell your wife for the next six weeks, <laughs> basketball's going to be first. You and the kids are going to be second. And, and, and Wes is, is, you know, talking like this and then he says and 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 he says and if anybody if I find out anybody gets the Georgetown flu the Georgetown flu is a self-inflicted all right go out get drunk hangover that's the Georgetown flu anybody (laughs) gets the Georgetown flu you're going to have to deal with me and the flu isn't going to be nearly as painful as when I get at you and the whole time he said that he was looking at me you know I'm like Oh, man, <laughs> I cannot go out and mess around. So I, I definitely committed like everybody else did. Um, and so the sleep, eating well, and uh, staying the hell out of Georgetown for six weeks. I made up for it afterwards, of course, <laughs> after the championship. After you <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, they had to drag me out of that place. But uh, during that run, no, everybody was all in and totally committed. You talk a lot about Mitch. I know that you, your relationship has continued since your roommates uh, when you played for the Bullets, um, but that helped you, you know, be a scout with the Lakers, right? And how yeah. was that experience 
going back 40 years and comparing basketball today and then, how has that been? That's good. It's been uh, quite an, uh, a journey and evolution to see the way I played, the way the games were played. When I watched, you know, my dad was a player at Xavier, and uh, he taught me basically how to play as a young boy. And I had great coaches, and um, so, you know, we didn't have the three-point shot. Um, this no-hand-check rule is a godsend for quick point guards in the NBA. Uh, back then, uh, you had to steer, you know, defensively, you would put your hand on a guy's hip, and um, that was allowed. And some guys would grab your belt, some guys would dig their fingers into your hand, uh, you know, into your gut. It was crazy. But that's how the NBA was played. It was so physical. So I knew if I was going to play in the NBA, I had to be as physical as possible, lifting weights, training. You know, yes, you have to have good aerobic, but you had to be strong and physical. Today, you don't have to be. So, yeah, Mitch and I, we played the game a different way than how we were scouting and rebuilding the Lakers, and building the team. Um, Mitch has been my best friend from the day we drafted him. I hated Mitch Kupchak when I was playing at Kentucky and he played in North Carolina. He caught me in the throat with an elbow. And I remember telling Rick Roby, I said, hey, that, uh, that big lug over there, uh, he just hit me when he said, well, you know, Rick was like a hitman. He said, oh, well, what do you want me to do? I said, take him out. Well, Jesus, he did it at a free throw line after a made free throw. He was so, you know, uh, right in front, uh, you know. So I remember our coaches had to go onto the team bus in North Carolina, apologize for Rick Roby taking out <laughs> Mitch Kupchak. And I remember my coach, Rick, why, what did Mitch do to you that would cause you to react that way? He said, well, Kevin told me to do it. <laughs> yeah, he was a freshman. I was a senior. He should have never done that. But anyway, that's how I learned to hate Mitch Kupchak. And then I remember we drafted him and Bob Ferry. Um, we had two first-round picks in uh, 77. Right? Yes, yeah, 77. We had two first-round picks. We took Larry Wright and then um, Bob Ferry said, we're going to take Mitch Kupchak. And we had a party here on draft day at the Capitol Center. And um, I remember, oh, no, Bob, not Mitch Kupchak. He said, why do you say that? You're going to learn to like him. This guy's a really good player. He's a tough guy, man. He's physical. He's just what we need. He's got the NBA body. He takes no prisoners. And I said, yeah, well, I was one of those guys that got he said, I'll tell you what, tomorrow we're picking up Mitch Kupchak and his parents, and you're going with me, and you're going to meet him, and you're going to learn to like him. The genius of Bob Ferry yeah. once again. So I'm, I thought he was kidding, and then Bob Ferry came to my house, picked me up. <laughs> I'm like, do I really got to go to the airport and meet him? He said, yes, you're going to meet Mitch Kupchak. And so Mitch's parents get off the plane, Mitch gets off the plane, and I looked at him, he looked at me, and he, you know, I know he was thinking, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And uh, we broke the ice, and um, Mitch needed a place to live. And I said, I got an extra room in my house. And Mitch ended up living with me. And to this day, he's my best friend. Wow. That's an awesome story. Yeah. Yeah. And and back then, you guys would have roommates on the road as well. That's That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, he was a good roommate to have because I was a little wild, ruffian, a little crazy. And Mitch was very cautious, controlled, and disciplined. 
And um, I always tell my kids, you know, you need friends like I had in Mitch Kupchak. Mitch made me better, not worse. Yeah. And so when we would go out, and Mitch would annoy the hell out of me. We'd go in the bars, and I'm in there for one reason. I want to meet some girls. And he would be there, and fans would come up, and he was so nice to people, so friendly. And, you know, I'm with Mitch, and I'm like, come on, Mitch, let's go. <laughs> you know, and but I learned to be more like Mitch, I hope. Uh, he made me a better person, a better guy. And, and uh, I always tell Mitch that. I said, Mitch, if you weren't around, I probably would have had a six-year career, not a 10-year career. That's good. It's good yeah, that's to awesome. have someone like that. That's right. And you played, obviously played at Kentucky, and now you get to watch one of the you know, great Kentucky players in the NBA here in D.C. and John Wall, who's going to be in the Kentucky Hall of Fame, I believe, uh, this, uh, this August. Mm -hmm. um, I guess... I know, you know, it's it's a different time, but uh, you know, Kentucky athletics have had so many great players over the years. You guys, you know, just through John, we know what that fraternity is like—the Wildcat, you know, alumni. Um, how much fun is it to see a guy succeed like you've seen John grow up here in D.C., knowing this is one of you know, it's a Kentucky guy, and now that you've kind of, you know, you're around the organization mm -hmm. and seeing John kind of grow into the player he is. What's that like for you? It's awesome. Um, I can't say that I'm close to John or friends with John. Um, there's such a difference in our age, and I wouldn't ever want to impose on him whatsoever. Um, but, um, you know, he, he knows Kevin Grevy. He's a Kentucky All-American, and yeah. I have my restaurant for 37 years, and I've met his mom and his mom's best friend. I've sat with his mom and his mom's best friend at, at some Kentucky games. And uh, I told John that. And uh, when I come to Wizard games, I always seek out John's mom. Uh, she and I really connected. Yeah. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Um, first of all, I love my school. You guys have to love your schools. Why not, you know? And this school was good to me. Uh, those four years I played at Kentucky, uh, the friendships I have in Kentucky um, are very special. And uh, what an alumni Kentucky has. In fact, on Friday, I'm flying to Lexington. John's playing in a uh, alumni game, and I'm playing in a game before it, a Legends game. Nice. So I don't want to embarrass myself. I've been, <laughs> I've been shooting on, on, uh, out the backyard with my son, and my knees are hurting, but I don't want to embarrass myself. i got to make a couple left-handed jumpers, you know, in this Legends <laughs> yeah. game. But I get to know you know, these Kentucky alums, and I want to see them all do well. But I'm here in Washington, and my heart is with these Wizards. Um, my kids, we love coming to the games. They're excited. Ted's been so generous and nice having this alumni association and welcomes us, wants us to come to the games. And it's great to be loved and liked. And uh, it all goes back to having played in this town, in this uniform, have achieved greatness, winning a championship, um, and you have to be careful how you say that, but uh, I played on a great team with great guys, and we did win a championship, and it'll be with me to the day I die. I don't know if it'll be on my gravestone, but it's sure, <laughs> it's sure embodied in me. <laughs> you know, um, it's uh, a gift that has been given to me, and, uh, and uh, I very much appreciate it. 
I know that you also did some broadcasting with Westwood One. Uh, what is it? How have you taken in that experience? I know we had some good stories about Rick Barry, but did you grow an appreciation for that part of, you know, the media part of uh, basketball and that kind of stuff? Well, you know, I could always talk. I could always, you know, impart a, you know, something to say. So um, one of my close friends happened to be one of the broadcasters, Mel Proctor, here for the Bullets when I was playing. And Mel, I was injured. I was always getting hurt. I don't know if you guys know that, but, you know, I, I never played an 82-game season. Played an 81-game season year. We won a championship, and I had a couple 65, 70-game seasons. But I played a certain way, and I was going to get hurt. And I just kind of had – I knew that. And when I would get hurt, Mel's doing these games by himself, and he said, hey, Kevin, you want to sit down here and, and uh, sit in on a broadcast with me? I said, well, what would the coaches say about that? And he asked coach, and I did a couple games. He said, Kevin, you're not bad at this. Mm-hmm. I knew you would be good. And then I got traded, went to Milwaukee. And when I finished my career, the first person to call me was Mel Proctor. He said, Kevin, what are you going to do now you're retired? I said, I don't know. I think I'm going back to Hilton Head. I had a home in South Carolina, play a little golf, raise my kids, and figure it out. And I had a restaurant. And I said, I think I'll take that over buy out my partners. He said, man, you got a broadcast. I said, well, I've never done that. He said, yes, you did. You did those games with me and you were pretty good. So he talked me into doing an audition for home team sports. And Jody Shapiro was the executive director. I flew back from Hilton Head, did. I thought it was horrible. You know, they staged this, this game and you just talk about it. And Mel wasn't there and he's the only guy I ever worked with. It was somebody I didn't know. I didn't even know the players on the floor. I'm making up names. I'm like, Mel called me and he says, uh, how did the audition go? I said, Mel, that was a wasted trip. It was horrible. He said, no, it wasn't. They liked you. You got the job. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, you're kidding. And he said, now get your butt back to Washington because the college games start up in two weeks. So um, that was the beginning of the broadcasting, which working for home team sports led into Westwood One, Mutual Radio, and um, which actually led into the scouting that mm-hmm. Mitch hired me because I was to another. Right. Yeah, I was making uh, relationships and friendships with coaches. And the one thing I'd always learned as an announcer, just keep digging, get as much information. You may not only use a small percentage of it, but I would talk to guys like you guys um, at the arena. I would want to know the broadcasters first. Hey, how's the team doing? What's this player like? And then the coaches and any anybody I could talk to, just get as much information as I could, along with the game notes and the study. What was some of the, what was like the best, like off the top of your head, like broadcasting memory and like the difference from obviously playing for a long career all your whole life and then having to comment on it for people you know, who are watching the game or, or want the information? I had more lowlights than highlights, I think, <laughs> of my broadcasting. Uh, I remember the whole uh, the home team sports calling Dick Tarrant, uh, Dick Tarrant, for the first part of the game. And uh, they were getting calls in the studio. Who is that knucklehead that doesn't even know the coach of the Spiders? And, you know. and uh, so I learned uh, a lesson there. you got to know the pronunciations of every player and coach and anybody you're going to remark on there, you better know who they are. Um, I remember also having a live mic 
um, at the table, we had Jeff Rulin, who was scouting for the 76ers. And I said, Jeff, who are you uh, scouting? And he said, uh, well, I'm here, um, Brian Rousam for UNC Wilmington. And I looked at Jeff and I said, really, Brian? And, and uh, so we break away for a timeout. And there's a satellite feed, you know, that's going on. And I had my mic uh, on. Of course, we're off, you know, we threw away for a commercial. I said, Brian Rousam. That guy sucks. He can't play a lick. The 76ers are looking at him. Are you kidding me? I was just ripping this poor guy. And then we put the headsets back on and, you know, welcome back here at Rich Food Arena. And then we're, you know, we're here with Kevin Grevy and Jeff Rulon. And then we break away from the huddle. Really? Brian Rousam? And so then the game ended and Richmond beat UNC Wilmington. We go to a party in the conference room and there is the satellite feed of the game. And... Brian Rousam and UNC Wilmington, all the players standing there watching our broadcast. That was the most embarrassing moment. <laughs> I had one drink and left and, of course, got a call from the athletic director. I got a lot of lowlights. Probably the best thing that ever happened for me was uh, in the broadcasting business was uh, being courtside in the NCAA tournament. And I worked a tournament now 27 straight years. And um, you remember... You know, of course, I played in the NCAA tournament. I played in the championship game in 1975 and lost to UCLA. So when I'm doing a broadcast, I get the butterflies, get excited, and these kids are playing all out for everything, and they have that dream of winning a championship, the same one I had that never happened in college. And so it's a, it's a lot of fun doing those games courtside. And now we'll get, uh Wrapping up, we don't want to take too much too much of your practice time before your big Legends game coming up. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, but besides playing in, in uh, you know the alumni games and checking out Wizards games, what what are you go What's going on now? I know you had a great run with the restaurant. Um, Thank you. you. Have, yeah. What's yes. What's the latest now for you? Well, you know, you're you never stop uh evolving and uh it's just a transition year for me i closed the restaurant i'm looking to open up another grievies a grievies two somewhere in the northern virginia area uh, we kind of have a bullseye around that merrifield falls church mm -hmm. fairfax annandale it's kind of where i made my reputation grievies so um we're looking at that um my wife and I, we have a property. She has me working on the property. If I wasn't shoveling stalls, I would be landscaping. There's things I've never done in my life, like plant trees. Yeah. I'm doing that, power washing. Um, I'm doing a lot of things that I never thought I would do that I try to have the right attitude and enjoy yeah. it. I love tennis and golf. Those are my two passions, so I'm doing a lot of that. And. Uh, I am a scout for the Lakers, and I'm blessed to still have that job. I've been with them 17 years. Mitch left. Um, he was let go. Uh, Magic uh, Johnson, Rob Palenka are running that organization, and uh, they retained me and some of the other scouts. So um, I hope to be with them for the foreseeable future. But uh, life's good, man. 
I'm having a ball. I really am having a good time. That's great to hear. And we really appreciate you coming to join us on the podcast today. That was a lot of oh, fun. Oh, thanks. It's great talking to you guys. Hope yeah. I didn't uh, ruin my reputation. But, <laughs> Absolutely uh, <laughs> not. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we want to thank uh, Kevin Greedy for joining the podcast and continuing our uh, Bullet Series of the 40th Championship Anniversary. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again in the near future. Uh, thanks for listening. Ciao for now, WizKids. Today's 40th anniversary edition podcast was sponsored by Chobani yogurt Chobani is America's number one Greek yogurt made the right way and not genetically modified with only the most natural ingredients and sweeteners whiz kids the wizards are in Detroit on Friday and that game is on national television ESPN Monday in Dallas that game is a later start 8 30 uh, out in Dallas as the road trip continues we'll talk to you next week Uh, as the Wizards are still gone until next Saturday. So have a great weekend. Ciao for now.